really need to be looking at from a biblical perspective. And though God's word does not use the word dating at all, certainly how God wants us to be united with someone and the oneness that we talked about in Genesis 1 and 2, what that should look like. Uh, It kind of, we would say, narrowed the field, uh, you could say, and what we need to look for and what would be an appropriate for the rest of our life person. You know what? Many of you would look back and say, man, I didn't do that step very well in my life. (laughs) It was it was a little rocky. I didn't think about that. I just, I just know she was hot, and I went for it. And, you know, that, I mean, like, some of, like that's your story, some of you. Um, this morning, I want you to hear redemptive quality. I want you to hear the redemption of God's story. For those of you, uh, you got married and you got into this married life, and, I mean, that, those first few months or years or whatever the time frame was was so incredible. You guys were just having a blast together. Real life kind of took over, uh, and not real life like marriage isn't real life, but, but like your jobs, kids came along, they started to be involved in activities, things like that. Uh, one or both of you started to have some physical issues. I mean, all of these things start to, to take over in life, and if we're not careful, they start to become our focus when we knew at the very beginning of that marriage, clearly that person I was looking across with the goo-goo eyes, that was my focus, and for some of you, like sitting here right now, you would say, man, that, that kind of nails my situation. I, I, didn't, I didn't prioritize my spouse. It's somewhere along the way. And this amazingness we had just kind of became something mundane. And if that's you this morning, I want you to know, I want you to hear the redemptive quality of God's story this morning. And then last week was probably a harder message for some of you to hear and and to process, I can tell you as your pastor, it was a little tougher for me to stand before you and, and share because I know you personally, almost every single one of you. And so I know your story. I know your life. And, um, and yet God's word is what it is. And we walk through it because I believe it brings great value. And some of you would say, you know, like it has gotten so bad that we just feel like the only way to find peace is just to get away from each other. <laughs> break this thing up, rip it apart. I understand the oneness theology, but we're just going to tear it wide open and, and end this thing. And I want to tell you that I want you to hear the redemptive quality of this story this morning. I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. And now this week, and our focus this week is after you say I quit. That's kind of the title of the message, at least. And for many of you out there, and we'd walk through the stats last week, for many of you, you've had a divorce, you had a breakup in a marriage, and you've gone on in life. And some of you, like you're walking single now uh, after that divorce. Some of you, you found somebody else and you married. Some of you even, you know, you, you found somebody else you married, and then that broke up, and you found somebody else and married. Or Wherever you're at, I want to tell you, like I've said every week in this series, Our goal is not to kind of hit you, to go back and look in retrospect and say, yeah, here you blew it, here you were a sinner, here, and walk through that. It may be true. That's not our focus. Our focus is to say, how does God want to redeem where you're at now and take you forward now, uh, just bringing you along in life with his life that he says to us? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning 
if you've divorced, if you're after the I said we quit, if that's you this morning, I want you to know that God brings incredible redemptiveness to your life. If you're in the middle of that hurt and pain right now of that divorce, if you still deal with all the logistical awkwardnesses of, of, you know, kids here one week and kids here the next and things like that, maybe you're even across states. I want you to know God brings a redemptive quality to you this morning, and I want you to hear that. And I want you to know that this is a family of believers here at Wendover Hills Whereas I will admit, we don't always get it right. We blow it sometimes in how we care for one another, right? But I can tell you, the heart is correct. And what you saw in prayer is what we really feel about one another. We want to be a family and care for one another. And so, I want to say up front, as your pastor, and I think I speak for the family in general, if you've divorced, if you're the after I quit, said I quit type of people that we're talking about this morning— we have no issue, in, interest in beating you up, into rehashing old decisions, even if they were poor decisions. That's not our interest. Our interest this morning is to say, you are loved, you're cared for, you have a place in this family of believers here at Wendover Hills, and I hope you, I hope you will feel that. And if you're new with us, I hope you stick on long enough to experience that here. All right, enough intro. On to the uh, story this morning. If you have your Bibles, it's John chapter 8. John chapter 8 this morning. John chapter 8 in verse 1, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Um, As you're finding it, let me tell you one thing that's important for us to remember. Groundwork from where we go from here. It doesn't matter if, if you've been divorced or we're just walking through what we talked about the first three weeks. What we don't want to ever get in the mindset of is this. Man, Tom, what you just said, the redemptive quality, the grace of God, we just sung about amazing grace. That's so wonderful. I'm just going to go ahead and make the poor decision because God's grace and this family is going to take care of me after the poor. I'm just going to go ahead and make it. Um, That's not what we're after, okay? In fact, God's word actually says in Romans 6 chapter 1, should we continue to sin because God's grace will abound? And Paul says, by no means, that's not our focus. Our focus is to say now, where we're at this moment, is to not take another step without understanding God has a plan, a process, a way he wants us to live for our benefit. And then there's this redemptive quality if we're living with the hardship of past decisions at all. Here's the passage, Romans chapter 8, verse starting in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Them was like crowd people, whoever was at the temples that day. They were there to hear him. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, Moses commanded us to stone such women— Now, what do you say? Of course, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. That's the setting of the story. If you were there hearing Jesus, it's because you wanted to hear Jesus. You went to the temple, and you wanted to hear what he was saying. He was teaching that day, and so this was a perfect place to capture people who were like really enamored with Jesus. They were followers of Jesus, and they probably already had this buy-in to what Jesus was teaching. And so this was a perfect opportunity for the Pharisees to try the best they could 
to entrap Jesus with a question that seemingly didn't have an easy answer to it. So they found this woman caught in adultery. Um, Let's make it clear. Caught in adultery means she was having sex with someone. She was married and having sex with somebody else, or they were married and she was having sex with that person. That's adultery here. Less sometimes like we create our creative definitions to adultery, that's not how the Bible saw it. That was the definition. And so we don't have any indication that the Pharisees were lying here, like they just found a woman and accused her of this. I guess it's possible, but we don't get any indication in Scripture. What we get in this story is this woman comes who has been caught or accused of this by the Pharisees. Now, if you're thinking for a second, who are these Pharisees? They are like the policemen of the law, the law of God's word. So if you've ever read it in the back of the Bible, and you are the beginning of the Bible, excuse me, and you've started to read, and you got like caught up in all this crazy law stuff, and you said, I might skip forward and read some other stuff that's more exciting. That was probably the law that, that you skipped past. Well, the Pharisees, they would oversee this law, make sure it was being put into play. And as we've shared with you before, but if you don't, if you don't remember or don't know this part, if there wasn't a law that specifically hit an issue, the Pharisees would look at what was written, and they would use that as their wisdom base, and then they would write additional laws to cover anything that might not have been covered before. Don't work on the Sabbath. Well, what exactly is work? Well, the, the Pharisees' job as they saw it, was to come along and now create things that constituted work. And so that's why we get a list sometimes of what was allowed and wasn't allowed. So the Pharisees brought this, this lady caught in adultery, and they brought her to Jesus. And they said, in the law, Moses commanded to stone such women. It's true. If you look back in the book of Leviticus, you'll actually find that that is the case. She would be taken out, and the guy would be taken out as well. Notice they didn't bring the guy in this story. Both of them would be taken out and they'd be stoned. Stoned is to death. As in, put down, usually in a small hole, they would put them in. And they would stand up on the rim and they would throw rocks till they were dead, basically. That's how it would work. Seems a little barbaric to you, right? Um, but that's, that's how it would go. And so they weren't making this up. So they brought it to Jesus and they said, Jesus now, what do you say about this? Here's the trap. You see, the Roman Empire, who has control and authority here, um, and the Jews are living now in the Roman Empire, they didn't have, they didn't have uh, the rights to put people to death. It may have been part of their religious law, but they didn't have rights to do this. And in fact, it's why we really don't see in the New Testament any of these death sentence type things being carried out. Because the Roman Empire basically said, live your religion, we're going to stay out of it. Live your Jewish faith, your Hebrew faith, we're going to stay back. But listen, you can't bring any non-peace to the empire. You can't go around killing people and, and putting death sentences out there. That's our job to do that. Do you remember uh, why Jesus was not put to death by the religious leaders? is because they had no authority to do that in the empire. And that's why you saw this progression at Easter time and in who he had to go before. And so Jesus could not pronounce death on this woman here because that would be a violation of Roman law. So what they thought is, well, if he pronounces death based on 
the book of Leviticus, well, we'll just go to the Roman empires and say, hey, there's this guy and he is out telling us as religious leader, and he's a rabbi, another religious leader, that's who Jesus is. He's out saying we should put these people to death. That's going to be a problem in the Roman empire. That's going to be a problem for Jesus. So not a good answer if Jesus were to go that way. But what if Jesus said, I'm just not really into that law. I know it's there, but I don't really think we should follow what God's word says. So we'll just, we'll just write that part out of God's word and we won't obey that part of God's word and we'll just move on with life and we'll obey the ones that are a little easier to obey. Big problem with the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees, now they're going to roll in to anyone who's a follower of the law, which is any Jewish person in Jesus' day, and they're going to start spreading the, loo- the news, he violates the law. He preaches against the law. They may love Jesus' teaching, they may have been really excited about what he's saying. They would not have stand, stood excuse me, for hearing that Jesus was violating the law. Now when I think about that, I'm thinking, you know what? That we so fall into that picture today. It's so easy in the Christian world and outside the Christian world to look at God's word and just say, man, there's some hard teachings in there. I think I'll put those to the side and, and, and really not have any interest in those, kind of write those out of my memory, and I'll follow the ones that are a little bit easier to follow. Listen, last week when I was your pastor and I stood before you and I, I talked about this limited grounds for divorce, and it's extremely limited in Scripture. That's one. Sometimes it's much easier if we could just kind of write that out of Scripture and we just go about it a different way, because those are the hard ones, hard ones but they're part of God's word. So Jesus knew he couldn't just say, forget that part of God's word. We'll just move on. We'll find something we really like. So Jesus goes at it a totally different way. Keep following with me, uh, if you will, here. Second half of verse six. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. It's an amazing turn of events. In fact, sometimes we're like, man, I don't get into politics and diplomatic stuff. I just love Jesus. Jesus loved to be diplomatic. (laughs) And he, he was just so wise and sneaky in what he said and how he said it. Because he knew if I say this on one side, that could be trouble with this audience. This on that side, that could be trouble. But here's the cool thing. I think what Jesus has really wanted to say in his heart is what he ended up saying anyway. It's what he really wanted to say. It's so consistent with who he was. What he did was he bent down and he started writing in the sand. Now, anything you've heard, somebody stand up on a stage like this and preach to you and say, I think he said that, or I think he wrote this, this is what they saw, no one knows. There is really no indication in Scripture that anyone has a clear understanding of what he wrote there in the dirt. But we know this, it caught their attention. Not right away, he gets down, he writes one time, and they're still kind of squabbling and talking. And then Jesus says, if any one of you is without sin, let him be first to throw a stone at her. This is when it caught their attention. 
And we find that one by one, they just started kind of moving away, starting with the older ones. What does that mean? Well, basically means seniority. The, the wisest in their view of the religious leaders, the one with most, uh, most seniority, the ones that were most respected and looked to, they moved away first. And if you're a young one, if you're following the religious leaders, if you're like a student and you're there to learn, you know, like an intern type of thing, there's no way you're going to stay there when your master, your leader, the one you're shadowing has moved on. You move on too. And that's what happened. And so even the wisest among them recognized we're had. We're had on this one. What does Jesus say? What does he write? I don't really know either. I've probably read five or six different thoughts on it. Who knows what he wrote here. But it, it, it stood them up and got, them, uh, uh, got their attention fast. Enough that they would drop their whole argument and they would move on. Now, I'm getting me wrong here. Do you know what they were after with Jesus and entrapping him here? They weren't just seeking to quiet his mouth. They wanted to put him to death. That's what they were after here. They were looking at just getting one little foot in the door towards a death sentence for Jesus. And it was all taken away in one just quiet, kneeling down and scribbling in some sand. Kind of like, you know, your kids do. That's what Jesus did. And he quiets them. So here's the the scene at the end. Jesus straightened up and asked this woman, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Here's where the power of the passage really comes in. Because notice when Jesus stands before her and says, where has everyone gone? It's a funny little phrase. Jesus is saying, hey, where did everybody go? No, no one's still here? There's only one person that, that left that seemingly had the authority and power in Scripture to cast a sin, or excuse me, cast a stone. And it was Jesus standing there. If you're without sin, combined with whatever he wrote, then go ahead and cast a stone. I'm right here with you. Go for it. You got power and authority. If you're without sin, go for it. Do her in. They all move away, yet Jesus still stands, sinless as we know, the only one with the power to condemn her. And yet he says, is no one here? No, they're not here. I don't know if right away she's like, I'm home free. I got off here. I'm going to live. I don't know. Maybe she did. Or maybe she's like, is, is this guy going to take me out now? I, I don't know what she was thinking. But then when Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn you either. Notice this. Jesus doesn't condemn. He never in this passage condones. Don't mistake that for a second. You see, in our, in our society today, in our blurred lines, we have thought that any non-condemning is also condoning. And we don't find that Jesus condones one moment. Never did he say, you know that adultery thing that's in the word? That, you know, I'm, I'm really not into that anyway. I, I think that's a little narrow and strong. So I'm going to go ahead and let you go because I'm writing a new law around here. And I'm going to let adulterers have at it. You know, the more adultery, the better kind of thing. That's, that's not Jesus' words at all in here. There's no condoning. But he doesn't condemn here. He doesn't condemn. Can I tell you, 
If you're in a situation today and you've divorced and you heard last week's message walking through God's word and you're like, man, I didn't divorce based on God's word. Like God didn't like give me releasement through his word for the divorce I had. I was just tired of the guy and we just decided we're, you know, we're done here. Or it was just kind of a mutual decision type of thing. And you, but you look at God's word and know, man, I didn't have that open door that God's words provide. I want you to know that our goal is not to condemn you. That's not what we want you to hear today. But at the same time, like Jesus, we don't want to condone as well. We don't want you to base now every relationship or any possible future marriage as you now walking through the same path or the same way or that it was okay in the past. We want you to learn God's word and to put the practices of God's word into play. Now notice this parallels into anything in your life, not just the marriage situation we've been talking about the last four weeks. Any area of your life, you can look back and say, man, I'm not condemned, but it's, it's not condoned what I do. I need to make a change here. And it's Jesus who actually says this the strongest at the very end here. And this is the gold we need to take home. The very end, Jesus says, now go and leave what? Leave your life of sin. Leave your life of sin. Do you know one simple statement Jesus declared to her, what you did, what you were caught in, it's sin. It was sin. But Jesus says, I'm not going to condemn you here. I want your life to be transformed. I want you to go away now renewed and changed and leave that life of sin and live a life without sin. And so we would say the same thing. If you this morning, you've had that divorce and, and you're like, man, I know I didn't walk through it the way God's word allowed it. I know I didn't walk through those couple narrow avenues that God allows. I want to say right now, or if you're sitting here and you're considering it, God's word tells us that that's sin. He doesn't want us to live that way. That's not the route he would have for us. But Jesus stands in front of you today, if that's you, and says, we're not here to condemn, but go and leave your life of sin. Don't make that decision again. Don't walk down that road again. Now where you're at, start with the first week of this series. Start thinking about the oneness and the wholeness that we talked about. Start thinking about any future relationships and avenues that you might get into need to be interpreted the way that we talked about the first week. And if you are one this morning and you would say, man, I did the leaving. I just walked out on my spouse years ago. I left him. Then know God's word actually says, and this is important to know, it, it says, don't remarry. Don't remarry that way. I, I don't want you to do that. Because your oneness was there. Know God's word and where he wants you to go with that. He says, go and don't sin anymore. But I have great life still ahead of you because I'm not going to condemn you. It doesn't mean you have to walk around feeling condemnation on this earth every single day. And this is from Jesus. How much more from the church who we are all like the Pharisees. We have sinned and we can't throw the stone but we love, but we want to go and sin no more. Notice how this redemptive quality, it flows into every area of your life. Every area. 
whether you're talking about marriage or this has nothing to do with marriage, go and sin no more. Leave that part of your life. Now there's a phrase we like to use a lot, and I think it's a phrase that we, in our head, we, we kind of feel like it, it's to smooth things over. We like to say the phrase, I'm only human. Have you said it? You know, I'm only human. I'm just human. That's a way to excuse our shortcomings, to excuse our sin. Is there truth in it? Yeah, there's truth in it. We blow it. We're, we're only human in the sense that the Bible does say, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, truth, right? But we also like to say, I'm only human in the sense of saying, I'm going to make mistakes. I'll always sin. That'll always be in there in my life. And when we read Paul and he talks, Paul actually has this theology where he's like, no, that's not true. The closer we commune with God, the closer we get to them, the more we track in his direction, the more we own God's word, the more we say, as Jesus said here, I'm going to leave that life of sin and I'm, I'm not going to return to that in this area of my life I was dealing with, then the more we find this life of holiness and purity. Now, does that mean you will never sin the rest of your life? I don't know that I can say that. But I think you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are capable of so much more wholeness and communion with God and so much more distance between life of sin than you might have ever allowed yourself to be capable of. I believe that strongly. In fact, I believe it's the basis sometimes for the revivals that you see in our world often is when somebody just says, I'm leaving that kind of life. It's, I'm, I'm walking with God. And God brings this amazing revival to our heart and spirit. And it's amazing if that doesn't touch the person that's sitting next to us. And on and on and on. So this morning, as we finish off our series and we've closed down this, and next week we start Advent, which I'm going to tell you about in a few minutes, um, I want you to know that wherever you're at in this marriage and relationships, wherever you feel like you might have blown it, blown it sinned, fallen short, got into it awkwardly, um, are living the, the, the trouble of it now, God's redemption is there for you. And so this week, I want you to know that we're going to commit, and I know it's a short week with the holidays, but we're going to commit to pray for you in whatever area of redemption you need. You might say, Tom, my area has nothing to do with, with marriage, but I'd really like for prayer in this one area. Just let us know. I want you to take your card out that's on your chair, and I want you to just write right now, in the next couple minutes, what is your redemption you need prayer for this week? And we want to pray for you. And then finally, I want to tell you um, that during this Advent season, uh, as we walk through the story of Jesus and the birth of Jesus and, and the events leading up, I want you to start seeing it the whole four weeks up to Advent as this redemptive story that God is calling you into this right relationship, this redemptive relationship with him. And you'll see more of that as we walk through it. Let me pray for you. Um, if you need the prayer time to be filling out your card, that's fine. God understands. Oh, let's pray. Father, this morning, as we close out this series, as we've been walking through, Lord, I thank you for the story of redemption in our life. And I would suspect, Lord, that there's many in here that need wholeness and redemption in their marriage. It, it may be, Lord, that they can pinpoint what's wrong. And Lord, they just have struggle figuring out 
what to do with it and how to overcome. Father, bring your wholeness, bring your spirit, bring your redemption. For others, Lord, it may be very confusing. They just know we're not, it's not clicking well here. It's not working. And Father, we pray that you would bring your redemption there. You would open eyes and reveal where it is, Lord. Where it is, Lord, that you want to bring change. Father, I pray for the one that has already walked down this, this road of, of divorce. They've already had a marriage that was shattered or broken up. And, and Lord, it's sometimes they even interpret life from here on out based on that. Father, would you bring your redemption, your wholeness to them? May you draw them close to you and know that they don't have to sit and live in condemnation every day, but you are a God who says, I don't condemn you. Go and leave that life of sin. Live a redemptive life. We pray you would do that for each of them. And Father, finally, as we prayed before, for anyone in here, Lord, that the real redemption they need to pray for this morning is to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's to say yes to Jesus. I pray that right here, right now, they would just simply pray in their heart, Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I want to live for you. And that in an instant, they are your child, Lord. They are redeemed, Lord. I thank you for that. Anything else, Lord, that you need to hear from us, Lord, I pray that each person would feel the freedom to drop it and to give it to you as their Lord. We pray it all in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, next week...